Money FM 89.3. Best of drive time. Right now, we shift our attention to headlines uh, coming up from the region. From Malaysia's Prime Minister Anwar Ibrahim appointing his own daughter as the country's financial and economic advisor to Thailand, tightening the country's marijuana regulations since its decriminalization last year. And on the line with us this afternoon is Dr. Felix Tan, political observer, Nanyang Technological University. Dr. Felix, good afternoon. Hey, very good afternoon to you too. All right, doctor, let's uh, start with Prime Minister Anwar Ibrahim appointing his own daughter, Nuru Isa as uh, an advisor. What are your thoughts on this one? I think, to be fair, Anwar Ibrahim's daughter, Nuru Isa, has held political positions before. Mm-hmm. But I think she has come across as not having any economic or finance background, and I think we all realize that. But I think, despite that, she still plays in a governmental you know, uh, decision making position, I think, which makes the entire saga rather difficult to justify. But I think, to be fair, there have been other countries in this region where it is quite common to have such, you know, ministers who may not be well-versed in a particular portfolio they hold and are still able to influence public policy. But I think looking at this particular issue here, what is important is that she has had uh, past political experiences and that will put her in a very good state to, you know, or at least provide some sound political advice mm-hmm. in certain situations. And she has dealt with uh, some other issues in the past as a politician before. Mm. Not just that, Doctor, I, I believe, and I've spoken with her before, that when you know she was plunged into the political scene mm-hmm. when everything happened to, <laughs> to, to her father, and she has mm-hmm. managed to navigate her own way around it and uh, emerge as well as um, a very credible uh, mm, yes, indeed. I think you will look at Nuru Iza's uh, path as a politician, you know, stepping in when her father couldn't, you know, hold any position at, at a point in time. She has done a pretty good job, you know, as a politician, and she has gained enough credibility on her own, you know, standing. And I think one should give her that sort of credibility and recognition mm-hmm. and legitimacy that to be able to stand on her own two feet, to make decisions, to provide good guidance to the new team uh, uh, that has come on board. Yeah, so I, I, I think, you know, many are rather concerned that, you know, this entire saga is seen as nepotism because she is no longer in, uh, in government or holding any political position. And I think uh, uh, some netizens, especially in Malaysia, are mm. questioning her qualifications. And I think that, that I think we must go beyond that to see where, you know, where she's coming from. Mm. Would it have been easier, Doctor, if, you know, she acted as an advisor, as somebody who mm. who uh, the Prime Minister can uh, consult with, but not in an official capacity so as not to bring up all these nepotism <laughs> criticism? That could have been one way of doing it. But I think what Anwar Ibrahim is really thinking of is tapping on the daughter's uh, exposure, uh, the daughter's experience in certain areas. I mean, Mm. to be fair, we have to look at even a democratic state like the U.S., and we have seen that under the Donald Trump administration that, that that he as a president put his daughter mm-hmm. and son-in-law in positions to act as advisor. Mm-hmm. So I think, you know, should anyone even be surprised, you know, or up 
in arms over that. You know, I think I don't think this will have much, you know, of any impact on Anwar Ibrahim's credibility unless you know there is this constant and this consistent nagging feeling that there should be one. Mm. Speaking of surprise, uh, former Malaysian Prime Minister Mahathir Mohamad still seems to be in the dark over why voters rejected him at uh, the most recent general election where he secured only 4,566 votes and lost his deposit. Okay, I, I mean, Dr. Felix, I want to I want to ask if he's still sulking about it, but you know, he's done a lot for Langkawi. We cannot deny that. But is it a case of holding on too much, especially in this current climate, holding on too much of what was done in the past? You know, when you consider the, the turmoil that we have discussed uh, with regard to Malaysian politics over the past months, year even. Mm, I, I think, you know, looking at the entire saga and the situation of how he lost the election, I think it comes really as a huge surprise, not only to himself, I think to many pundits, you know, you know, by the results, you know, all, and were rather surprised by it. I think he this is his very first defeat since 1969, and given his entire political legacy, I think this will definitely have an, a great impact on his well, his ego, you know, and also his reputation. Uh, but it is quite a surprise. But I think you know, if we look deeper into some of the reasons that might have caused uh, yeah. so-called his downfall in this, yeah. I think firstly it's also perhaps because of his age. I mean. To be fair, he might be still politically savvy, but even yeah. if he wins, one cannot guarantee or he might not have the physical or mental capacity to hold the seat for much longer. Yeah. And then secondly, I mean, there have been also an opening up for younger voters uh, yes. in the last election. Yes. And there could be somewhat of a disconnect with uh, this group of people, this group of younger voters, who many of whom could have been the age of, you know, Mahathir's own great-grandchildren as well. So I think, you know, one has to be mindful of these factors. I think uh, thirdly, his competitors, well, uh, are much younger from uh, with uh, than him and would have been perhaps a closer contact with the members of the constituency. I think that is, that is one factor as well. And last but not least, I think his reputation as a political leader, I think we have to take yeah. that into consideration. It has been somewhat tarnished, you know, when he stepped down suddenly as prime minister. And that really created a, a political, I would put it, kerfuffle in Malaysian politics prior to this election. So all in yeah. all, I don't think anyone uh, doubts that he has done a great job you know, yeah. in Langkawi, but the odds are simply not with him. I guess if you put a positive spin to it, the voters are really just telling him to, you know, relax, take yeah. it, you know, retire. He should. It's time he to should. retire, He's done grandpa, so much. Or great yeah. grandpa. Yeah. Should, you know? <laughs> He's done good and he should just uh, be happy with that one. Right. Anyway. Time, time to re- relax and yeah. chill, you know, and, and just take, take care of himself, yes. Enjoy the exactly. country that he built. Mm. Uh, mm. Let's mm. talk about the upcoming elections in Indonesia in February next year. Um, any familiar names? that are uh, coming up as a front-runner or, or, or uh, putting their name in the race? I think we have to look at, you know, uh, one of the issues, the political dynasties in, uh, in Indonesia. I mean, uh, it is, you know, still some way to go. It's, it's, next, it's due next year. But uh, the political dynasties are rather not new in, in Indonesia. You know, we have uh, Susilo Bambang Yudhoyono's son, mm. Agus uh, Yudhoyono, and he's the leader of the Democrat Party. And I think uh, it's been said that he might be, you know, running to serve as one of the vice presidential candidates to Anis Beswidan. Mm-hmm. And so that could be one. And uh, we've got uh, Sukarno's daughter, Megawati Sukarno Putri. She might not be running, but she's still in politics. 
And I think that is, you know, one area that we have to look at because she still has great influence within her party, which is the uh, Democratic Party of Struggle, or PDIP. And, you know, a lot of times we, if you look at understand PDIP's management, you know, uh, anyone who wants to run under that party would have to get her approval. And, and I think... Um, that's one area. I think the other one is that uh, in terms of political dynasty, Juan Maharani, you know, the daughter of Megawati herself, and she is also coming up as one of the, you know, a contender for that election. So these are the really two so-called political dynasty. And the third one we are seeing, you know, is uh, Jokowi's eldest mm. son. Yeah. So Mr. Gibran Raka Booming Raka. And He's currently the, the, the mayor of Solo uh, and since 2021, but you know he might not be running for next year's election because it's too short time. But you know, in the future, again, we see this sort of uh, political dynasty going on in, in Indonesia, so it's, it's not a huge surprise. Hmm. Speaking of surprises, in Thailand, they are set to tighten the country's marijuana regulation since its decriminalization last year. Quite fast. I mean, is it a case of, you know, people just not able to control? Uh, They're already starting to abuse marijuana? I think to be fair, there's a lot of things that's happening with Thailand uh, issue, you know, uh, regulation at this point in time. Right. The problem with Thailand's drug problem is that there are no clear guidelines and enforcement on the situation. Okay. And one of the problems that I've spoken to many people in Thailand as well is mm-hmm. that there are two kinds of, you know, drugs or marijuana related. I think one of them is, is, is for medicinal and yeah. the other one is, you know, really to get that high feeling. So I think the confusion is surrounding that sort of differences between the two, the classification, the name and the makeup, but they are very, very similar if you, if for the ordinary people. So the problem is that Thailand uh, did very little to enforce the spread of, you know, the illegal right. cannabis right. and because they perhaps could not be able to identify the difference. So this makes, you know, enforcement rather difficult. And secondly, the the problem is that the decriminalization was rather sudden and all-encompassing, and that opened a huge can of, of worms. So instead of curbing the problem, the decriminalization of cannabis use has caused a series of repercussions. And you know, where you see now frontline shops selling illegal cannabis instead of the medicinal version, ah. which in some companies have been working very closely with hospitals, with universities to control and to expand medicinal and, and uh, marijuana. So that is a problem. And I think certainly a country like Thailand, well, it's always going to be, you know, very difficult to, to ensure the enforcers who may not be corrupt, you know, and might have connections with underground drug pushers to, you know, to enforce the rule. All right, Doctor, thank you very much for helping us understand what's happening around the region. Dr. Felix Tan is a political observer at Nanyang Technological University here on Drive Time. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at moneyfm893.sg or download our audio app. That's A-W-E-D-I-O. Available on Google Play or the App Store.